Sunstrom Recruitment are the leaders in health and safety recruitment. If you're considering a career change or need to discuss your organisation's hiring, reach out to the team today. We were awarded Recruitment Agency of the Year in Health and Safety in 2023 and are a proud sponsor of Health and Safety Conversations. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome to Health and Safety Conversations. Here's your host, Tom Bourne. Hi and welcome to Health and Safety Conversations. I'm your host Tom Bourne and with me today is the marvellous Rob Kirkwood. Rob, how are you? Good Tom, good, thank you. Yeah, good to oh, chat. Mate, I love that smile, look at that. Oh, yeah. Someone's <laughs> smiling when they're talking to me, that's unusual. Well, the sun's out, that's why. The sun's out, oh, I wish it was over there. What's the, what's the temperature roughly like over there? At the uh, oh, mm, well see on West Coast, North Island, it's reasonably mild. There's snow on the mountain out here, and I think today might be about 16 or 17 degrees. That's that's the temperature here in Perth, so yeah, 17 yeah, degrees. Oh, yeah. It's, I said to the wife earlier, I said, I think we're on exactly the same latitude as those areas that she, you know, that she came from, but uh, right. enough of that. Yeah. Uh, Rob, you didn't start your career in safety, so uh, what, what, what? Bef- <laughs> Who what? does? Who does? Oh. Do you know how many times I say to people, you know, <laughs> you had to get people, into safety? And all, yeah, yeah. Some someone, people get demoted and end up in the safety department. Oh, um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, no, I, I didn't. I guess I've been in a sort of a formal, you know, an official health and safety role prob- probably, let me think about this, maybe 18 years or so. You know, where I've had health, safety, environment in a title where I've actually been doing this stuff, looking after management systems and a whole bunch of stuff. But prior to that, really, I I mean, time, time's moving on. I, I used to say 20 years prior to that, but it's probably 15 years prior to that. I worked in the outdoors, in, in mm. the mountains, mostly. And, and that's kind of where I really got the safety, I wouldn't call it a bug, but I got to understand about safety and I got to understand about risk. So, yeah, I used to work as a mountain guide on the South Island of New Zealand and done a whole bunch of work in that environment overseas, Antarctica, kind of managing managing, managing outdoor risk and managing large groups of people. Mm. And it wasn't really until I came back and I, mo- I moved, I, I, I left a job out working out of Antarctica, and then I moved to the region I'm in now, which is predominantly energy, oil and gas. And I, I didn't really know what to do with myself. And so I started, you know, and I was an industrial abseiler for a bunch of time. And then I was working on, you know, petrochemical sites and gas sites. And I thought, oh, okay, there's a lot going on here. And there's a lot of safety stuff going on. Yep. And that's where I made the transition. I saw a job advertised and I went, 
Oh, okay, this is a health, safety, and environmental training job. That's that's what I've been doing. I didn't know it was called that. I've been doing that for the last you know twenty years. So it was a nice transition, kind of you know hanging up the harnesses, hanging up the crampons, and then getting more involved with with yes, yeah. Good, good. Antarctica and people, interesting, yeah. com- interesting combination. Yeah. Uh, any 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 good stories to tell about Antarctica? Oh, well, it's you know it's got to be the, it's got to be one of the most amazing places to ever visit, let alone work. And I was I was very fortunate that I had probably the best job on the continent. You know, so I was a safety guy. So we worked. There's about four of us working in this really small team, and our job was to essentially ensure well to start with because the 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 base that the scott base that's set there its main focus is to provide support to science for science Mm. and so you get a whole lot of scientists come down and then they need to learn how to you know operate in that environment and so part of my role was around inductions essentially providing a a safety induction so they knew how to use all their equipment their transport their clothing because it's you don't you can't learn that stuff anywhere else apart from down there. Mm. And then so there was part of that, then there was a whole lot of safety related roles, which was making sure the access routes onto the sea ice, onto the, the ice shelf was safe for people and, and vehicles to go on. We did a whole lot of supporting scientists. So we'd get them set up and they would fly into the backcountry and build a camp for them, stay for two or three days and then fly out again and and then the other part of it was was with the American search and rescue team. So we had a joint search and rescue team. So we did sort of technical search and rescue work. You know, I mean, fortunately, we never had to use it in anger. I think I can't really remember. We might have had to look for someone that was a bit, they got a bit pissed one night and walked the wrong way out of the bar. But you know, it's it's just a fascinating, fascinating place. And if you don't know anything about Antarctic history, then when you go down there, you learn it very quickly, because the the the, the stories of survival and you know and how to manage risk. If you go back to managing risk, holy yep. shit, those guys they did some remarkable things. Um, yeah, so I don't have any kind of quirky stories. It's a just, but it was a just a fabulous, fabulous place. Yeah. I, I mean, I do remember I went and supported a, a, a New Zealand science group way up high in the Victoria range, so a long way north from Scott Base. And we had we were supported by a helicopter business, Helicopters New Zealand, that, that were based out of an Italian base. And so I was up there in a safety kind of field assistant role, and it was a beautiful evening, and we... It was my turn and another uh, another scientist's turn to cook for everyone. So we we made you know we made pizza dough, and we made pizzas for everybody. And the the pilots came down from the Italian base with all this Italian red wine. It was like oh this is pretty sociable. <laughs> and so we're sitting outside on deck chairs eating pizza, drinking red wine, thinking this is awesome. And the mountains and the sea ice and the ocean is a phenomenal. And then the pilots said to us. Hey, and they went. They went drinking. Just to be clear about this, they said we we came across this incredible emperor penguin colony earlier today, and so we filled up two helicopters of scientists and we flew through these massive tabular icebergs, like weaving like this, and then we landed on the sea ice, and then there was I don't know ten thousand emperor penguins just in this little valley. And we were just sitting there. And the deal was none of us were, were taking cameras. So I've got no photographic evidence. But it was the one time in my life I've gone, holy shit, this is what living's all about. This is incredible. You know, and I've never forgotten it. I've got no photos of it, but I've never forgotten it. It's just remarkable. Mm. Does it does it sadden you a bit that, that the environment down there is reportedly changing? Well, there's no, there's no doubt that you know global warming is is having an impact. You know, there are, on the Antarctic Peninsula, which is you know below South America, there's reports of new types of grasses growing that have never been found before. 
So that only happens when you know when the, the temperature, the base level rises. Mm. But you know, I mean, I mean, I get into a lot of discussion around climate change, and I work down there with uh, you know New Zealand, some of the international leading experts in and 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 climate change and you know oceanography and and they were saying you know look there's 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 no denying this is a real thing mm. you know and you you sit around and have dinner with these guys and that's what they've spent their life doing and everyone used to say oh yeah but you know it's, it's cyclic it's the, it's the earth is warm before and it's like and they'll they'll say absolutely we totally agree with you but not at the rate we're seeing now so you know when you see I mean, I'm only there for a, a little snapshot of time, but those guys have been going back 30, you know, back to back 30 summers and they've seen the changes. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, yeah, it's a, it is a shame. It's yeah, it's terrible. But. I, I, I guess risk assessment on in, in Antarctica is a bit different than what most safety professionals would encounter day to day. Yeah, yeah. Hey, well, you, I mean, you know what? The, the thing is, working in that environment, you know, if I, so if I take it back here, I've been living here for 16 years. So let's say 16 years ago, working in that environment, we, you know, we, risk assessments weren't really, formal risk assessments weren't really part of the vocabulary. Mm. And this is kind of, this has been the big takeaway for me is, is, is shifting from working in the outdoors in that high-risk natural environment to coming into, like in my case, the energy sector, where, you know, the risks are still high, but they're different. They're quite different. Mm. But the the layers and layers of administrative stuff that goes on just didn't weigh it up. So uh, working on the ice and working in in the mountains, you know, by by default, and I didn't realise this, but by default, you've got you understand the risks associated with it, and you understand how to assess them. But if someone said to me 20 years ago, hey, can you do a, a risk assessment review matrix or whatever on this activity you're doing, I'd be like, what do you mean? Mm. But if, you know, and it comes back to critical risk management, but if someone was to say, hey, how do, how do you manage the, the shit that's going to kill people here? Yep. Then, you know, what we refer to now as sticky risks, right? Yep. How are you going to manage the shit that kills people? You say, well, this is exactly how we do it, mm. you know, and you can just bang it out. So, yeah, risk assessments weren't, weren't formal risk assessments weren't a, weren't a thing, no. really. They might have been in some, you know, dusty folder somewhere, yeah. but not not in normal work, not in, re- in the work that we were doing. Yes, yes. We were chat. We were we were we were competent, technically capable, skilled, and experienced people. Yep. Mm. Here's the thing: before bits of paperwork came around that we had to tick boxes for and cross-reference matrices and stuff like that, people still successfully managed to do jobs, didn't they? They did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I yeah, and this I and I really like that. I mean, we do. You know, and that's kind of you know, I'm I'm really pro UV safety. I mean, I've been doing a lot of a lot of work in that area, and you know, again, if you take that philosophy around, you know, most of the time, ninety nine point whatever percent of the time, we do we do things well, mm. things go well. Occasionally, we cock it up, and sometimes, and when we, and most of the time, when we cock it up, no one, there's no real consequence. No one gets hurt or damaged mm. or whatever it might be. Occasionally, they do. And then just watching over over the years about how many, how you know how much effort and resources and cost and time goes into trying to rectify that really small percentage of time when it goes wrong. But you know we've been doing things right for a long time. Yeah, you know, yeah. I killed. I didn't kill anyone in the mountains, and I never had any paperwork. But there's a lot of stuff going on up here. There's a lot of planning going on, which. You know, it was a discussion, conversation. You know, and it comes back to this, you know, the new view, especially around safety differently, is around, you know, in this case, we were the masters of the blue line. We were the people who who, who knew how to do it really well. Yeah, yeah. Look, do you think the obsession with paperwork 
isn't about safety at all. It's more about legal liability. Well, I, I yeah, I, I I do to a certain extent, or to a large extent. There's you know I've worked for organisations where you know let's face it, there's been a there's been a failure of some description. Someone's been hurt or something's gone wrong, and often it's hey let's check the whatever it is you know the swims or the JHA mm. or the JCR. Let's check that first, or let's check that you have done your take five or step back for you know so there's all this default yeah fall back look at the paperwork and if the paperwork doesn't tell you what's happened then clearly that's the failure and so you know as I've matured and clearly we all know that that's not that's not right I I, I get it from a, a large organization they've got to have some form of assurance program in place yep just you know I just don't think we've kind of we've nailed it yet yeah yeah. You know, I'm really I'm I'm very vocal about some of the administrative drama that goes on in the energy sector, you know, layers and layers of administration that add very little value. And in, and in fact, I got in trouble one time. Like we were we were working, we had a job in central Queensland working on a gas plant there a number of years ago. Mm-hmm. And for a large Australian asset owner. Mm-hmm. And of course, us sort of Taranaki, you know, Kiwis went over there, used to how we do stuff. Again, masters of the, we sent the good guy, we sent the A team. <laughs> and there was an HSC advisor working for the client. And of course, I was back over here. And we got, we got notification that, you know, we had to produce these sort of, you know, safe work method statements. And I remember one of them was for unloading, unloading a truck. So we had some pallets of, you know, pipe work arrived that we're going to get unloaded with a little tally handler and he wanted the swims for one of these and of course I said no right so I banged one out sent it through to him and it was just redlined all over the place it was crossed out and had comments and in the end this is this is no lie it ended up being 45 pages sorry 45 steps in this process <laughs> Not forty-five pages. That would be a little bit overkill. And then I just, I kind of lost my rag. I said, at a, you know, we had a group teleconference, and I said, this is, this is, this the amount of administration, administrative work that we've had to do is disproportionate to the risk. Mm. Yes, someone could fall off that truck, but holy heck, how many trucks are being loaded and unloaded every day across the world? We're not killing people, so mm. let's keep that. In, but they just couldn't. They couldn't think like that because they were a contractor work for a large energy client in an asset owner that required, you know, the contractor shall do A, B, C, D, including all of these things. And that's really frustrating. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know how many times I speak to people literally every day and they say, even even the the, the smart safety professionals will turn around and say, we have very little faith in the paperwork we're required to fill out. Very little faith that it actually does anything. However, principal contractor requires that we do this to say that. So it continues. Yep. And it's just like, yeah, uh, it's safety madness in my point of view. I, I, I don't understand. Someone, someone a lot smarter than me said, this thing here, pieces of paper, they don't protect anyone. They don't protect anyone. It never no. stopped anyone getting killed a piece of paper. No. No, and look, I, I absolutely, you know, I see value in in doing a really robust risk review prior to a project. Hmm. And But when it comes to routine tasks, day in, day out, and, you know, there are these sort of daily checklists and daily JHAs or JSAs, and required to be completed that everybody i mean everybody knows they add no value the guys filling them in the people telling the guys to fill them in you can see it in their eyes and the white of their eyes they're like yeah i know you know there's no <laughs> there's no there just seems no justification for it Man. but i get it I, I get there's a there's a balance between doing something and not doing anything mm. and the issue with someone like me says oh this is bullshit you you automatically get the like, 
clearly you don't you know you don't care or <laughs> yeah yeah you want people to get harmed yeah like, yeah you know, yeah you know uh just... and i don't I mean i don't have the answers for that but you know i do like to push back on some of that stuff yeah yeah now uh, being a guide and, ha- and having a lovely uh, members of the public we'll call them members of the public under your control yeah uh, human behavior it's so predictable it depends on which country they come from <laughs> oh you mean they're all good from australia right yeah, they are no you're right absolutely oh. right. Spot on. you're smiling again so no 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 oh. um, you just don't know what's going to come out of some of those australians mouths that's all oh well that's that's yeah. that's that's true that's true yeah no look they yeah people do people did some strange things and it's a bit, you know, it's a bit like, you know, uh, looking at event, uh, incidents that might happen. You think, what on earth was that person thinking then? But, you know, there, we, I, I guess in the guiding sense, we knew that people would do funny things, strange, odd, make odd decisions uh, based on that environment that they're in. You know, and, and Antarctica is a classic for that, where you've got these, these really well highly educated scientists and you put them into that environment and all the common sense goes out the door and so you can't say this guy is stupid (laughs) because clearly they're not (laughs) they've got more letters after their name than anyone and they're a global expert in whatever they're looking at but some of the things you think why are you doing that you know why are you why are you attempting to do that? Clearly, that's not going to work for you. So it's a so it's just acknowledging that people will do make odd decisions. But I guess the you know what I've learned is it makes sense to the person at the time. Mm. You know, so there's, mm. they'll do something, and if you query them on it, they'll often go, mm, "I'm not sure what I was thinking. If I did know what I was thinking, I'd be able to tell you, but I don't know." Yeah, but you know, it's the same with incident looking at reviews, incident reviews and investigations, or you know, it does make sense to the person. You know, why did you stick your finger or your hand, you know, through that guard to pull that bit of stuff out? You know, well, it just seemed a lot the right thing to do. <laughs> I wanted yeah. to keep the machine going or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's always reasons. So, but the, you know, in the guiding world, there is certainly a high expectation that people are going to do some make some odd decisions and so it's it's about being on on you know on board with that and aware of it and uh, on edge yeah and the reason why a guide has got you know a really flexible neck is because they're always looking like this wondering where (laughs) people are Mm. yeah Yeah. i don't don't envy the uh, the guides who were looking after White Island when it happened? I think they were made forced to make some, yeah, tough decisions. Tough decisions based on things that they may not have been prepared for. So no, and well, you know, and that's you know, I, I I'm I'm not one to com- I'm not going to comment on that because I I don't know it intimately. But you know, I've seen the documentary, read a bit of stuff around the WorkSafe prosecution, etc. But you know, it's there's a lot of that. There's a lot of that natural environment, those situations and the organisations that are working in that environment. I and mean, we were one of them. You know, working in the mountains and in, in the South Island, where you you know you were at the mercy of something happening. You know, mm. I mean, there's a number of times I've been involved with people, like a group of five or ten or even more, where we've had massive like car-sized rocks fall out of the bush way above us and you can hear them bouncing and we've run and if we didn't you know, whether we would got hit if we didn't run but you know that the, the, this is a real this is some real shit going on this is stuff yeah. that's going to kill people yeah and so I, I imagine those guys would have been very aware that it was a pretty hot you know intense environment but who knew it was going to do what it was going to do and mm. to the extent that it was going to harm people I mean, it's hor- horrific yeah yeah the, the the one thing i'll say about that and i don't know very much i'm like you i've seen the documentary etc was uh, it's amazing what regular human beings do to help each other in times of particular crisis i think yeah. 
there were there were some real examples of human spirit there people just stepped up to the plate and and took responsibility that they didn't have to they just no. they just did the right thing so yeah yeah i mean those the guys you know that flew the helicopters back in there when and t- they were told not to yeah yeah you know they've just been officially recognized for that 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 level of bravery just recently but you know, you, you watch that guy, you listen to him, the, the main helicopter pilot. He's he's very much. There's no way he was ever going to let anyone tell him not to go. He knew, he yeah. knew he had to do something. Yep. Yeah. 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 A lot of respect. A lot of respect for willful non-compliance in that case. Yeah. 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 That's right. That's it. Does. Yeah. It's an interesting topic, anyhow. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and I think we see a, we, we do see a lot of that. And yes, I see a lot of that in the workplace where it makes sense for someone to do something, even though they know that it's you know doesn't fall within the you know the process or the procedure, but they do it because it makes sense to them at the time. Yeah, with their intent, and their intent is to do the right thing. Yeah, and and you're exactly right about people do things that we consider strange, and that no one ever sets out that I've seen to get themselves injured at work or anything like that. They, there are a set of circumstances which for them at the time, considering the context, conditions, etc., make perfect sense. And yep. the main thing is not to crucify them for that, but to understand why that context and conditions existed yep. for them to think that, that yeah. decision they were making yeah. was logical. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss absolutely and you know and the the you know I, I i certainly follow the the hot principles in our business and you know systems and context drive behavior so if you take if you take that approach and you and you and you live by that principle then you've got to really pull back the layers to understand what's going on you know and by by holding judgment then you'll often get to the you'll you'll get to the core of it, because mm, mm. yeah. it'll it'll come it'll be obvious. It's obvious to them. It'll come obvious to you. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right, safety differently. You've already told me you're a big fan of it. All right, yeah. for for those who don't know anything about safety differently, perhaps they've lived under a rock for the last few years or something. What is it, and what what is it different from? Oh, you know, I'm no academic, Tom, but I guess over the last few years, and especially coming out of the mountains and looking at some of the stuff, safety management systems that people have been operating on, I, and and I know a number of people have done this, have gone, this is crazy, why are we doing this? This is crazy. There's got to be a better way. And so I stumbled across a few people. I remember seeing John Green online one time years ago, talking at a conference and thought this guy is really speaking something that I can very, very easily relate to. And it kind of, this is probably about nine, eight or nine years ago, I guess. And so it really got me reading and thinking and talking. And yeah, and I guess that, you know, for me, the safety differently processes around, you know, ensuring that you've got, you, you know, you've got the 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 worker as the at the centre of all your all your decision making. The worker has a solution around around what you do or what you need to do, you know. And you know, I come back to this master of the blue line. So the people 
you know, the black line, blue line thing, work is imagined, work is done. And I, I come back to myself when I was working in those high-risk environments, there's no way in the world I would let someone else based in an office with a procedure tell me how to do my job. Mm. I still don't like when it happens. but And I go, well, if that's how I felt, that's exactly what we need to be doing, making sure that the people at the, at the Sharpie, the people at the, on the front line feel. So for me, safety differently is a whole, you know, it's a whole bunch of stuff. And I mean, this is, you know, people, there's a whole bunch of books written about this, right? So, but for me, it's all about making sure that you've got a human-centric approach to how you how you manage risk in your business. And so, you know, I kind of refer to that whole, I, I refer to a new view now, you know, for the last couple of years, because I can see benefits of a whole bunch of things. But I'm really aligned to the the hot principles, the human and organizational principles. And a few years ago, I did did some training with Bob Edwards through Southpac. He came to our business, and you know the one the big takeaway for me was this is actually not about safety at all. This is about this is about business. This is about organizational improvement, organizational learning, and so that's why I like it. And I actually my my catchphrase over the last couple of years is, is about the importance of removing health and safety from your vocabulary. Because the more I do this sort of hop stuff and new view work or work in that with that lens on, the more I see it, this has got huge benefits outside of managing managing safety. So, yeah, it's I mean, it's a no-brainer for me. We've really taken it on over the last few years. It's those kind of key principles are they're at the heart of what we do. The benefits to our performance, you know, our output, our culture, the way in which we communicate with each other is just, you know, it's just gone leaps and bounds. And so we in our business, we don't talk about safety as such. We talk about risk, mm. we talk about loss, we talk about improvement and learning and performance and you know and part of that was because part of that shift was really because when you when you talk about health and safety you could to a group of people you could you could hear their eyes roll back in the head and so you know i think the you know the safety health and safety practitioners have a pretty hard road sometimes and and I I you know I kind of used to nudge heads with a bunch of people because of how I saw things, but I found that once I removed and stopped talking about safety, then you got people on board. And that's the great thing about the new view outlook is that it's not purely about safety; it's about organizational performance, which you know from a a business owner's point of view is great because you know they can. You know, they're more than happy to invest when there is greater good than just safety. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. All right, so let's have a think. In your corner, what is it? What do you do? Oh, well, I mean, I've got a, it's a little side gig, really. So the company I work for, Energy Works, I, I only work for them 30 hours a week. Hmm. And, and part of that is because I'm, my wife died a few years ago, so I have got three kids, three school-age kids, so I'm around for school time, you know, in and out of school time. I only work school hours. And so In Your Corner is great because it provides a bit of a side gig slash kind of consultant consultancy opportunity. And and the great thing about In Your Corner, so it was it's, it started by a couple of chaps in the South Island. One of them is John O'Brien. And Jono was the CEO of Kinetics, which was electrical distribution, electricity distribution business in Christchurch. Yep. And he he came across Daniel Hamadal in Australia at a, at a workshop talking about safety differently. And Jono went, you know, went through this workshop and thought, this guy, this guy's making so much sense. So in the end, he brought he brought. Daniel Cross to Christchurch and they developed what was known as kinetics differently. So he embedded those safety differently principles into his business. 
And while he was, and he's he's since moved on to another exec, few, number of executive roles. But what he saw was this real gap where organisations were doing what they were doing with the people that they had, but occasionally they really needed a few subject matter experts to come in and help them. You know, whether it was sort of you know some executive coaching or leadership, or it was strategic planning, whatever. So him and a few others joined together and created this in your corner, which is essentially a, a, a privately owned leadership coaching and consultancy business, but it's not a standard consultancy. And, and what they've done is they've developed a community of, of advisors and, or subject matter experts, anything from creating, you know, organizational breakthroughs to sustainability, IT support, future of work stuff, and so I was talking to Jono about, you know, essentially the new view outlook. And, and of course, he was completely aligned, having been involved with safety differently. And we said, look, there's got to be a way in which we can support other businesses across New Zealand into understanding how to, you know, how to lead differently with the looking through the new view lens. So, yeah, we've done a bit of work with him. So John and I have run a, some masterclasses around leading differently, we're just starting to develop now a, a coaching and mentoring service, which essentially is aligned similar to an EAP service, where, yeah. where a company will say, oh, here, you know, to your employees, I'll give you three free counselling sessions. But instead of doing it, you know, reactively, we'll do it, hey, you've got three free or six free coaching and mentoring sessions with someone within the community. Yeah, so in your corner is about providing subject matter experts for a, you know, either a one-off or a embedded in the business to kind of help you, give you the kick that you need. And the great thing about the community is we're all in play, paid employment. So we don't, we're not full-time consultants. We're actually just, we're doing our own thing. So one, I mean, one of the community is, is Darren Shand, who's the All Blacks manager and so he runs some high-performance masterclasses for us. So, you know, there's this incredible, you know, I feel like a bit of an imposter because there's some really smart people in that community. But what I see is, you know, often, especially in this, in this health and safety field, is you've got people doing, going through the day-to-day -day and sometimes lose sight of the bigger picture. And so part of my role is to be able to help organizations go on and pull back the layers a little bit and say right well, what's the plan here you know you're kind of going from an annual plan to annual plan surely there is something a bit in the health and safety space there's some longer term objectives you want to work with so that's what i like to do is go and identify some gaps come home again <laughs> fair enough fair enough and, and, and leave them to doing it themselves well you know leave them to do actually do the working and, and embed those changes. Yeah. yeah. All right. In your experience in health and safety, it's a, it's a, it's a tough question, but is there anything that's common, any common factors involved in workplace incidents? Oh, well, actually, I, I, used, I used to work with this Welsh guy years ago, and if there's any 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 incident, the first we would we would talk about you know talk about the incident and what we you know the causal factors and so forth. And the first thing he would always say to me, even without getting a brief on what happened, he would say organizational failure. <laughs> I'd say to him, "Oh come on, you know, every time management failure, you know organizational failure." And I go, "Ah." Oh. And uh, so we'd go away, right? And you'd 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 do whatever it was, an ICAM investigation, whatever was kind of hot at the time. <laughs> and, uh, and you, I mean, you, you, you couldn't, you couldn't argue with them. Yeah. You could, I mean, you could stop at human error if you wanted to, but we all knew that was, you know, and, and more often than not, you did because that was the easy way out. And because you knew that an organization was never going to change that much in order to address its failings. But I think that's the, you know, again, if you take this kind of new view approach of, you know, people will make mistakes, 
and 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 even the best people make mistakes and no one really intends to make those mistakes it's very rarely ever malicious but you know in systems and context drives the behavior so if you're pulling back that then there's always there's always these deep underlying organizational failings that are going on so i mean you know critical risk control management you know, if an organize, it's all very well to say, oh, this guy allowed this thing to happen. But, you know, if there's no robust critical control management of place and those critical controls don't allow you to fail safely, then it's an organizational issue that needs to be addressed. Yeah. You know, and I think it's just about how we as practitioners can, can provide that information and support and, under, and true understanding rather than, you know, blaming the pilot error all the time yeah it's easy to do right it's easy to blame the pilot oh yeah absolutely yeah but uh, conversely there seems to be uh, as you said uh, there seems to be three outcomes you can have from an investigation of, of an incident and you can basically do, you know i've got these three boxes and however you want of then you can structure the outcome of your investigation it's either going to be Operate error or human error or whatever we want to call it, management error or lack of supervision, or it's organizational failure. And depending on your flavor or bent, you can almost basically <laughs> you save yourself a lot of time and just pigeonhole it straight now. And, and you can collect your evidence just to base yeah. which box you want to tick. That's yeah. that's the, the only danger I, I see with shifting and we should shift it away from blame the worker all the time, is is I, I worry that we're just not looking for another person or another party to to blame. I think things are a bit more complex than just it's this or it's this or it's that. Oh, absolutely. You know, I mean, the, I think the days of, of finding one true root cause, we it's far, it's far too complex. There's a whole bunch of shit that goes on that we have no control over. Yep. But, you know, certainly over the last few years, really embedding those hot principles around blame fixes nothing. Mm. You can blame blame and punish or learn and improve, but you can't do both. I mean, when you tell your workers that, they go, awesome. So they know that they can raise their hand and, and, and talk about what's happened quite openly, knowing that there's, there's no finger pointing, there's no blame going on. I mean, it takes a long, long time, and in our business, you know, it's it's a it's an easy default setting to find is to rock back to, oh, it was him. They've done that. That's the reason they should know better. Yeah. The, bl the blame and train and bloody blame, shame and retrain, and you know, send out a safety alert and you know those days. Yeah. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully. Oh, they've got, I mean, they've got to, they've got to, they've, you know, it's just, it just keeps going around a circle. If you, you, you can stop there, but you'll learn nothing yep. and you'll fix nothing. Yep. <laughs> and all you'll do is you'll dehumanize your workforce while you're doing it. That's right. That's right. You do safety differently book club, I see. Well, yeah, yeah. We just started. Well, when I say we just start tomorrow, we're kicking off the first one tomorrow. Fantastic. So yeah. So we'll see how that goes. I mean, last year, I was I was asked to speak at the safeguard the the annual health and safety conference, and and we were talking about some of the some of the stuff we'd be doing in the hop space, and later that night, and I actually I actually entered an award. It was the first time safeguard had put a safety a safety two category in the in the evening, and. And when I saw that, I went, oh, I want to win that. I really want to win that because I think we're doing it really well. And I don't think anyone else is doing it as, as good as us. And I'm not really big on awards. I think, you know, often often those big businesses with a lot of resources, a lot of capacity manage to pull it off because they they write nice things and it's glossy. And, but anyway, so I banged out this, this entry so we had an awesome session talking to four or 500 people about what we're doing in the hop space. It, the feedback was phenomenal. It was like, oh, God, this is actually, this is great. This is, people are really interested in this. 
And then that night winning the award, it was like, oh, this is even this is even cooler. And so part and part of the reason for entering that is especially in the energy space was to send a pretty clear message to a lot of our big corporates, but you know, big global clients to say, is actually another way of attacking this. Mm. And and then so and, and and so I've been talking to a whole bunch of different platform forums recently in the last 12 months. And you, know, you see some of our clients showing interest. So I thought, you know what? Now's the time for a Safety Differently book club because I'd seen what the guys in Australia are doing and in North America and talked to a few people involved with that. And so we've got the first one kicking off tomorrow. And we've got about, and it's just local. It's just our little mm. town. There's about 45 people signed up for it. And it'll, and there's a lot of our client reps being there. And there's, you know, there's, there are safety geeks, there are operational managers, there is a chief operating officer for one of our largest clients coming. It's like, okay, so we might start seeing some traction. So although it's, you know, we, we're probably, I don't have the, not like the Brisbane guys that sit around and drink beer and, and talk with Clive Lloyd about what's going on. We're going to have it at lunchtime over some sausage rolls, just just timing, really. But, you know, but the motivation, people are keen. Oh, yeah. 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 That's the great thing about it. you start talking about the whole new view stuff. No one, certainly that I've spoken to, has gone, well, that's Rob, that sounds like a really dumb idea. Why are you doing that? <laughs> all been positive. It's all been, hey, yeah, this is cool. Good, good. Yeah. Uh, I've gone to a couple ones here in Perth. And one, we had a, a wonderful gentleman called Andrew Barrett come in and uh, give us an address. And one of the one of the topics that came up on it was organizational learning. Now, yeah. you, you mentioned that earlier, and it reminded me of this conversation. It was, do organizations actually learn, or is it the individuals in the organization, and therefore are we in danger if those individuals leave the organization, yeah. that the organization will go back yeah. to back to day dot basically yeah well i think a bit of both actually i mean in our scene and i've talked to andrew about this too but you know for us you know so we we started using learning teams a few years ago with mixed results some of them been great some of them less less so predominantly in that kind of post-incident event post-event kind of situation but trying to move to a much more proactive situation and but you know and to be fair i guess i'll be driving there but what we have found is the people again the masters of the blue line the people that know this shit that that apps they're ready to talk they're there and they want to talk all i do because i'm not the technical expertise uh the expert subject matter expert in you know in the work that they're doing i've got i've got a reasonable understanding but it's not my area of expertise so I get these people to tell me exactly. And all I do is I just I just ask the the the, the questions that I think are going to be challenging or you know play devil's advocate. So I think if I was to leave, then yes, it would continue, but it's got to be consistent mm. and it's got to be robust and it's got, you know, it's got to be done really well. And uh, you know, and I think to be fair, you know, someone like Andrew Barrett would say that there's a lot of places trying to do it and probably aren't doing it very well but at least they're trying to do it at least they're raising it as a as an area of importance so i mean currently at the moment i'm working i now we've got a lot of institutional knowledge in our business so there's a lot of processes that are in people's heads so i'm actually mapping those processes out and i'm using a style of let's call it a style of learning team to get there mm -hmm. whereas i don't know the process but I'll pull it together. Uh, and so I'm just kind of managing that process. So if I'm not there, then someone else will be able to pull that up. But it, it, it's a, you, you know, you need to, it's a concerted effort. You need to, you need to be proactive about it because it just doesn't, just doesn't come naturally. Especially, you know, uh, if you're thinking about, if you're only, if you're only waiting, if you're only want, if, the only time you learn is when things go wrong, then you're not going to learn much. No, so that's no. the great thing about you know understanding what goes right all the time and learning from normal work and learning from what goes well. 
Beautiful, beautiful. All right, Andrew, I'll, I'll just say this one, one, one last or one thing. Up. The thing what I find talking to workers, and I talk to quite a few, I, I challenge them whether whether it's an inspection checklist or whether it's a procedure. And I say, can you tell me that procedure you're following, that checklist you're looking for things, can you tell me who in your organisation wrote it? What do you reckon the answer is? <laughs> of course not. No one knows. No one knows. No. And the, no. We, we blindly take these things on face value that the person yeah. who authored this yeah. actually knows what they're talking about. Yeah. And that's yeah. a scary thing. And that's yeah. the opportunity for learning teams, I Absolutely. think. Absolutely. Well, you could say the same thing so I'm doing at the moment. So you could take this process mapping that I'm doing and in two years' time said, no, who developed this? You yeah. say, oh, Rob Kirkwood did. Well, what did he know about that? I don't <laughs> know anything about it. But the guys, you know, I'm just a scribe. I'm just pulling the stuff down. And I'm questioning. I'm going, that doesn't make sense to me. Explain it. Oh, now I get it. Yeah. Right. So what you're trying to say is, and so I just use my skills in that kind of facilitation mode and get the guys off the floor or off the, you know, the, the sharpie to tell me how to do it properly. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a bit of, you, you've got to be, I think you're right. There's a lot of procedures, especially kind of, you know, management procedures that get developed. You know, again, it's, you know, work is imagined, but then yeah. when you get to the field, it's not how work is done, but yeah, we're just trying to work our way around that stuff now, actually, to make sure that those procedures are fit for purpose and current and reflect, you know, the DNA of what we've got. And they're not from a, you know, they're not a cut and paste from a, a client document. Yeah, yeah. A lot of them around. Never seen that. Never seen that in any workplace. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear, Rob. That's Rob, time's just about run out. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. I, I wish I feel like we could talk for another good half hour or so, but I'm sure you've actually got stuff to do. Children so, to feed. Children to feed, children to look after. Yeah, good luck with that. Do, uh, gardens to dig. All, all all the glamorous stuff, mate. That's right. Solo parenting at its best. Fantastic. Yeah, thanks, mate. Tom. Yeah, thanks for thanks for catching up. No worries. And uh, Rob Kirkwood, I look forward to speaking to you again soon. Yeah, cheers, mate. Thanks a lot. See ya. Thanks for listening to Health and Safety Conversations with Tom Bourne. Until next time, stay safe and enjoy the rest of your week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.